Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, December 3rd, we are studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 9-13. to St. Paul expresses joy and thanksgiving over the Thessalonian Christians as he prays for the opportunity to see them again and that God would establish them in holiness before the coming of Jesus Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Tim Eden. Pastor Eden serves at Bethel Lutheran Church in Bryan, Texas. Pastor Eden, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you. It's great to be with you again. So as we get started this morning, Pastor Eden, let's talk a little broad context here. We're, we're studying this text because it is one of the appointed epistle readings for, this, for the season of Advent. This is the appointed epistle reading for the first Sunday in Advent for Series C, which if you're in the three-year lectionary, it's the, the reading that you're going to hear this year. So with, with that in mind, thinking that this is you know an Advent series, Talk a little bit about Advent and how a text like this fits into the overall picture and theme of Advent. Sure. Um, so, so Advent, that word uh, meaning coming or, or comes, uh, uh, pointing us to, uh, as we lead up to Christmas, Advent, that time leading up to Christmas, we focus um, in part on the first coming of Jesus um, uh, at uh, at Christmas as he comes as an infant uh, uh, into the flesh. Um, but also um, Advent always has the, the dual um, emphasis uh, uh, in, in that word coming. And that is also, uh, as uh, as you say in your opening to Sharper Iron, you know, Christ has died, uh, risen and ascended, and he will come again. Uh, and, and so there's this dual emphasis to Advent as, as one church year finishes up, the other one starts, um, uh, which is which is fitting. And and so then this as a chosen epistle reading for uh, one of the Sundays of Advent uh, stands out to us, especially in the final verse of our of our short reading here um, in verse 13, uh, where it mentions the coming of our Lord Jesus. And we can talk a little bit more about um, uh, that that verse in particular. Uh, but this, um, as, as I was perusing First Thessalonians, you know, is mentioned more than just here this one time and, and seems to be um, a broader emphasis for uh, for Paul in First in Thessalonians to, to have uh, for, for the Christians in Thessalonica to have on their mind and on their radar um, as he's speaking to them about about various things throughout the letter. Yeah, I think that that you're that's a good point when it comes to this particular reading with with First Thessalonians that the coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus is an emphasis of this letter. We, we mentioned in a previous study in this series that you know, sometimes these epistle readings, when you first read them, you're, you're kind of scratching your head. Well, I'm not sure how that's an Advent theme, except for maybe like one verse, you know. And and it's it's nice to be able to read it with those glasses on, you know, looking at this in light of Advent, that Christ has come and that he will come again. But I, I think you're right that when it comes to First Thessalonians, the letter as a whole is a very 
Advent-themed letter. It, it really does deal with the, the coming of Christ. So with that in mind, you know, one of the challenges of a series like this, and this is true of, you know, the readings that you hear in, on Sunday morning sometime, particularly the epistles, is that you often will jump into a book, a letter, without a whole lot of context. And, and we're not doing a full study on First Thessalonians here, but it is helpful to, to know a few things. So what's important for us to know about this letter, its themes, as we prepare to look at these few verses from chapter three? Uh, I think what's helpful first, uh, as it was helpful to me in, in preparing for our time together, is uh, even the first opening verses that, that Paul um, speaks to them in this letter. Uh, uh, you know, he has this typical opening as, as far as who is writing, um, and it's not just him in this case. Sometimes we think the epistles uh, of Paul is, is just Paul, but um, explicitly Paul, uh, Silvanus, or, or Silas, and Timothy, um, writing to the, the, the church, uh, the Christians in Thessalonica. But then as he, as he gets into the rest of chapter one, which is relatively short. I'm tempted to read verses two through 10 out loud for us, but I'll highlight um, because uh, I think he touches on a few things here that provide the context, especially for our conversation, focusing on on our portion of chapter three. Uh, so first, as we noted, again, the, the coming of Christ um, at the very last verse of chapter one, um, where he mentions again, uh, uh, waiting or to wait for his son uh, from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So again, even at the at the uh, sort of the end of his opening section, you know, Paul is again putting this on their mind uh, as a as a backdrop for uh, for all of the things that he has to say, and for us today, uh, for our um, hearing of God's word, for our Christian living, um, how is uh, the the return of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, a, a backdrop uh, for uh, for our life as well? Um, but leading up to verse 10 to highlight a few other verses, again, that will are, are themes that come up in, in our text today in chapter three, uh, we have verses two and three. Um, we give thanks to God for this Thanksgiving idea, um, always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, uh, prayer uh, coming up in our text again, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. Uh, and I especially want to highlight that, this this faith word, um, which, again, for us as Christians, maybe uh, we already have as as a, a crucial and important uh, word and idea, um, but, but is especially crucial and important for our, our conversation today. Um, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, again, this faith idea mentioned a few verses later in verses 7 and 8. Um, uh, as really an example to others, uh, and so some words of praise, not in a uh, in a um, prideful sense, but words of, of praise and um, uh, rejoicing, maybe uh, for the work that God has done in the in the Thessalonians, verses seven and eight, uh, that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere uh, so that uh, so that we need not say anything. So that's another big idea here, I believe, is um, in Paul's opening words, um, these words of thanksgiving and prayer, um, and in particular about the faith that God has worked in them. And then it goes forth beyond just just them. 
So I appreciate you bringing out chapter one, because that this, that is a really key chapter here in this letter as a whole. And just, you know, I mean, following along there as you're, you're pointing things out, you know, maybe an encouragement. Obviously, we're studying chapter three today, but take a look at the whole letter as, as you listen to this study. Look through mm-hmm. it, you know, maybe pause the study if you're listening to us on podcast and, and read the whole letter to get that full picture, because I do think that it is helpful. One of the things that, you know, you, you mentioned the faith there that's brought up in chapter one, that just as if you if you do read all of chapter one, it you know, you get that trio that Paul uses elsewhere, the work of faith, the labor of love, the steadfastness of hope, faith, love, hope. That that same trio made famous in First Corinthians shows up in First Thessalonians too. So I mean that yeah. that's a that's a really thing. And and again, to see how the coming of Christ forms that foundation in chapter one, and is going to carry through here in in First Thessalonians. Another you know, famous passage from First Thessalonians comes up in chapter four. It's often read at funerals or graveside where Paul speaks about that second coming of Christ and the, the resurrection of all flesh on that day. You know, this this theme of Christ's second coming really is is important in this letter. It's important in the second letter to the Thessalonians as well. If if my memory is is correct, First Thessalonians is is often considered one of Paul's earliest letters if not the earliest of of the epistles that he writes. I, I don't have the full timeline in front of me. I, I see the Lutheran Study Bible suggests the year 51 for the, the writing, which would be pretty early in Paul's ministry of writing epistles, which I you know stands out that that early in his career, Paul's talking about the second coming of Christ. You know, it, it's something that's always been a part of the church's proclamation and is a part of Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians here at the get-go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I believe you're right as far as the, the consensus on, on the timing of, of the writing of 1 Thessalonians. Um, I've heard different debates on which letter actually came first, uh, 1 Thessalonians or 2 Thessalonians, but uh, that's beside our points and I think purposes today. Um, uh, but regardless, as, as you emphasized, uh, the... Uh, and I had I had almost forgotten about you know the the text that you mentioned later on in First Thessalonians four, um, and really seems to be almost an issue actually. This topic of the day of the Lord or the coming of the Lord seems to be more of an issue in Second Thessalonians, whereas here it's um, not an issue for them, but a. Uh, um, uh, again, sort of a, a just a periodic mention of it for it to be on their mind um, uh, in the context of of his writing to them, uh, and you know it's easy then for us to remember that okay these are stemming from Jesus' own words about his own return. You know, it's not that Paul is, you know, inserting some theology or, or you know, trying to come up with some uh, additional doctrine, obviously, but Jesus himself spoke repeatedly um, uh, that he would come again. Uh, and so Paul is uh, highlighting that for uh, for the Thessalonians as, um, as they consider um, the, uh, the challenges that they deal with, especially um, leading up to uh, uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 9 and following. That seems part of the, the backdrop here, too. One more thing that I, I think is helpful when I think about Thessalonians is that if, if you go back to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, you you get the account of Paul's visit to Thessalonica, and his mm-hmm. visit there started with a lot of I mean, a lot of positive things that happened at the get go. But it's pretty quick that persecution arises, 
and he basically gets chased out of town there. And so he he helps this church get started, but then he's forced to leave pretty quickly. And and you see the spirit of love and concern that he's got for the Thessalonians come through in this letter particularly that you know he knew he had left them under duress and he's he's been concerned how's it been going and i think that that helps set the stage here you know if you're looking in the esv there's a title above verse 6 that suggests we think about this as timothy's encouraging report paul's been worried about this church and he's heard good news from timothy that kind of again sets the backdrop in in a fuller historical picture of of the words that that paul's going to give us today any any further context background information that we, we want to know before we dig into the text. Well, I think what you mentioned there in Acts is important uh, that, yeah, it, I don't know if we're given an exact time frame on how long he was in Thessalonica, but it very clearly is a, a shorter time frame and not, it wasn't a, okay, you know, I feel like my work's complete. Now I can move on. Yeah. But very much this uh, halted uh, missionary work by Paul in, in Thessalonica uh, and even to the extent that the Jews don't just drive him out of Thessalonica. They then, I was just reading this earlier, they follow him to the next city, Berea, and, and continue to to kind of push him away. Um, and so, yes, as a, you know, we often, I think, or, or we can fall into this trap of thinking of Paul as purely a, a missionary or evangelist where, okay, I, I went and I, I proclaimed the gospel and, and now I'm headed on to the next city. But Paul very much is also a pastor in that sort of caring and concern sense that you're expressing. And so uh, we see uh, in the verses uh, at the beginning of chapter three um, uh, and even the verses immediately prior to nine. So verses six and seven, this this longing, um, he actually is writing to them uh, in, in with two purposes. One is because he has finally heard about how they're doing, um, but also as a law, still expressing the longing, longing to return to them because he felt like the work was cut short. Um, and so he desires to go back and uh, continue that work, um, continue that teaching and, and instruction. Yeah, I mean, Paul's pastoral heart comes through in a lot of places in the epistles, but I think the text we've got today is is one of those very clear places where he he wants to be a pastor to these people. He wants to to share Jesus' love, to help them grow in Jesus' love, and, and we're going to see that very pastoral spirit come out in today's text. So, again, we are in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 9 to 13 this morning. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. That is our text for today. That's 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 9 to 13. And again, that is the epistle reading for the first Sunday in Advent in series C of the three-year lectionary. So just give us an overall impression of this, this text, Pastor Eden, before we dig into specifics. What, what's the overall feel, what's Paul's overall goal in this text? I, I sort of split it in my mind, even though it's a relatively short text as far as number of verses, I sort of split it into two parts. 
um, uh, where in the ESV there's that paragraph break. So verses 9 and 10 um, and, and then verses 11 through 13. Um, 9 and 10 uh, seem to be paired with uh, verses 6 and following. Um, uh, because of, again, this concern of how they're doing. Um, Paul had come and, and had the opportunity with Silas and Timothy to, to preach the gospel to the Jews and the Greeks, uh, or the Jews and the Gentiles, um, and uh, knew that uh, for many of them, or at least some of them, uh, the gospel had, had worked faith in them and had taken root. Um, but again, with the quick departure, um, how were they doing? Um, in our text specifically, we're not given that report, and that's why I think verses six and following are helpful because you know Timothy comes back, comes to to Paul, and 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 gives the uh, the good news of their faith, verse six, um, and their love. Uh, so this good report, and that leads to the the first half of our reading, I would call it, and that is this uh, this sort of rhetorical question in, in nine and ten. Um, uh, which is really expressing a, a thanksgiving and, and a joy over this good report that that he had to leave quickly um, uh, and however long it has been uh, since this letter is written um, he's he's finding that okay it didn't all fall apart after after he was forced to leave um, and then and then sort of to try to summarize the second part of it um, is, after this this prayer of thanksgiving or, or sort of this question expression of thanksgiving and joy to god um is then a reminder um uh, maybe just a, an a, a verbal thought from paul himself is is what comes to my mind right now sort of a, i don't know if it's necessary a reminder to himself but especially to the the thessalonians that um you know god is the one who has been leading and, and directing this um, and he continues to do the work um, in them um, all the way up to the coming of our Lord Jesus. And a, a lot of details to fill in with, with the meaning behind that. But that, that's sort of the two parts that, that I see. Yeah, I, I think you're right on. And it, that's a good, you know, just hearing you talk about it is a good reminder that sometimes the texts that are selected for the lectionary maybe pick up and start in a place that isn't the most natural. It's not the full starting place. And sometimes they end when there's more information afterwards that you really should know. And so, you know, when you when you read something in church, you hear it in church and your pastor preaches on it, that's wonderful. But don't be afraid to take that home with you and and read the fuller context and get that that fuller picture that's there for you in the scriptures. And so, you know, taking us back to verse six, I think is is very helpful so that you you get a feel for well, why is Paul, you know, expressing this thanksgiving? So, you know, I mean, and, and it is in terms of a, a rhetorical question, but you you get the sense that you know he's he's just overflowing with thanksgiving that he's almost at a loss for words. And and then I, I do think you're right. There it it almost is two sections. Maybe the the thing that that we could say unites them is that both of them are, are a prayer of sorts. You you've got a prayer of thanksgiving and then a prayer for God to continue to be at work, and, and both for, for Paul in his ministry and also then for the, the Thessalonians. So again, it, it, this is the, the context. This is the, the main point of, of what's going on here in 1 Thessalonians 3. So focusing in now a little bit more on, on verse 9, you know, just this matter of thanksgiving, it, it strikes me, and, and perhaps it's because the, the previous text we studied here on Sharper Iron was from 1 Corinthians 1, which is Paul's thanksgiving for the Corinthians. 
and that of course is in chapter one and that's where i expect to see him you know giving thanks that's that's where it usually lies and and you already pointed out you know he he does this in chapter one of first thessalonians it strikes me to see him doing it again you know i mean here's here's thanksgiving popping up again in the middle of the letter help help us into what what paul is saying here about the thanksgiving he's giving in verse nine so uh it really stems from uh i believe this this good report this this good news of your faith and and, and love in verse six um again he saw in in his brief missionary work there uh, uh, uh distress and persecution and rejection of the gospel uh, not by all certainly but but by a um a, a significant enough or a a um uh Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a verbal enough, you know, sort of a, a an adamant enough group of people um, that they that they drove him out, and um, and so then to hear, even as he goes on in verse seven, um, in all our distress and affliction, um, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Uh, this faith that um, was started with the gospel being proclaimed to them, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, um, that he is the uh, the Christ as as the one proclaimed from the Old Testament, uh, that, that, that faith has stuck and it didn't fizzle out right away because of persecution. Because certainly you would, you would expect, as we see recorded in Acts 17, like you said, um, uh, the man named Jason, uh, what exactly his role was, I don't think we know um, in the life of Paul, but some significant role and so how you know after they they drove paul out then they came to look for for jason and um uh and i forget exactly the the sort of the persecution but he has to pay some sort of financial uh uh, uh agreement to, to kind of calm things down is, is my understanding of, of acts there but you know they not to take us too far away from thessalonians but again with this is what's going on it's understandable for Paul as 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 their concerned pastor to wonder, okay, has the same thing happened to uh, these these new converts to Christianity, these new believers, and are they going to give up the faith quickly too? Uh, but he finds out that they haven't. Uh, and so you know this, as you said, this Thanksgiving just overflows. It's he kind of runs out of words. Um, and I think that's why it's in the form of a question as I as I uh, read, um, I was able to dabble in, in uh, Lenski's commentary a little bit for some help on, on, these, on these passages. You know, it, it's sort of this, what more thanks can I give? You know, is there, is there enough words of thanks to express to God, not to the Thessalonians, to be clear, um, thanks to God that he has preserved them and preserved their faith um, and preserved the work that he has already done in them in the midst of distress, afflictions, um, or even when you look at uh, the end of verse five, somehow the tempter had tempted you and and our labor would be in vain. You know, these are some of the concerns that Paul has, but he finds out this this wonderful news. So he gives thanks um, and, and to note also then this thanks that uh, leads into joy um, or sort of flowing from joy, maybe uh, uh, for all the joy, ESV says that we feel. Um, I, I've heard another way to translate that would actually be for all the joy that we rejoice with. You know, it's sort of this double use of that of that term uh, of joy. And so again, it, get, it adds to this idea that you expressed already of overflowing with thanks, overflowing with joy, um, and, and sort of this 
hands up in a good sense, uh, throwing your hands up in a good sense of what what else is there to say or how how what how can words express it? Yeah, I mean, I, I when I think of joy in Paul, I often think of the epistle to the Philippians. You know, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Yeah, and, definitely. And and what you know what's striking about the joy there in Philippians is he's he's rejoicing even though he's in prison. And here he's, I mean, he's full of joy because he's got really good news, and that joy does lead him to thanksgiving. You know, elsewhere, we know that, that Christians can be joyful, can be thankful in all circumstances, even, even when those circumstances to the world may not look for cause for joy or thanksgiving. But it, it's, I guess it's just nice and refreshing to see here Paul giving thanks at a situation that just about anybody's going to agree, this is this is cause for joy. This is cause for thanksgiving. How the Lord, you know, I answered Paul's prayers for these Thessalonians. He had been forced to leave with without much time there. He's been praying for them. He's been concerned about what report he he's going to get, and he's gotten good news that they've been established for faith. And so his thanksgiving, his joy overflows. I mean, again, you just you see the pastoral heart here, and I, I think I mean. I think pastors certainly can relate to this, but I, many Christians can can relate to this. You know, I mean, think about you, you haven't seen someone in church for a while, and, and you're worried where where have they been, what's going on, and and then you hear the reason for it, and you you realize it's not because something's gone wrong with their faith, but it's it's another reason. You see them again, and there's that overflowing joy to to know that that a person's faith has been strong, or maybe you know you grew up in a in a church, haven't been there in a while. And, and you go there to visit again because you're back in town, and, and you see those friends that you grew up with in the church, what joy there is to see that they're still connected to Christ. That's the same joy that Paul's experiencing here. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent uh, parallel, uh, in my opinion, uh, a great example. Um, and this, and so then as Paul rejoices in, in three, um, I, I finally found the verse that was coming to my mind. Another one that I think we quote regularly uh, at the very end of First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, 17, 18. Rejoice always, similar to, to Philippians. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Again, this rejoicing and giving thanks uh, and, and prayer in, in general as well. Um, uh, it's an it's an encouragement and admonition for the Thessalonians and for us uh, to do the same um, as we see really, in my opinion, and this broadens to to so many things um, as we see God working and, and his continued faithfulness in our lives and the lives of people around us. Um, and that can that can take so many different forms. Um, but uh, uh, does that then fill us with joy and, and overflow into, into thanksgiving and prayer? I, I hope so, uh, and I expect so uh, for many of us uh, as uh, as we see and witness those things. Right, yeah, and it's always always good for us to, to keep in mind when we pray, this is the way I like to say it, when we pray, Lord, have mercy, and the Lord gives his mercy, then let's make sure that we then give the next prayer, which is God be praised or thanks be to God. You know, And I, I think you, you see Paul— having both of those here. He's prayed, Lord, have mercy for these Thessalonian Christians. The prayer has been answered, and so now he's he's saying, thanks be to God. God be praised for that answered prayer. We're going to pick up more of this text on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking First Thessalonians chapter 3 with Pastor Tim Eden. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, December 3rd, we are studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 9-13. to St. Paul expresses joy and thanksgiving over the Thessalonian Christians as he prays for the opportunity to see them again and that God would establish them in holiness before the coming of Jesus Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Tim Eden. Pastor Eden serves at Bethel Lutheran Church in Bryan, Texas. Pastor Eden, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you. It's great to be with you again. So as we get started this morning, Pastor Eden, let's talk a little broad context here. We're, we're studying this text because it is one of the appointed epistle readings for, this, for the season of Advent. This is the appointed epistle reading for the first Sunday in Advent for Series C, which if you're in the three-year lectionary, it's the, the reading that you're going to hear this year. So with, with that in mind, thinking that this is you know an Advent series, Talk a little bit about Advent and how a text like this fits into the overall picture and theme of Advent. Sure. Um, so, so Advent, that word uh, meaning coming or, or comes, uh, uh, pointing us to, uh, as we lead up to Christmas, Advent, that time leading up to Christmas, we focus um, in part on the first coming of Jesus um, uh, at, uh, at Christmas as he comes as an infant uh, uh, into the flesh. Um, but also um, Advent always has the, the dual um, emphasis uh, uh, in, in that word coming. And that is also, uh, as, uh, as you say in your opening to Sharper Iron, you know, Christ has died, uh, risen and ascended, and he will come again. Uh, and, and so there's this dual emphasis to Advent as, as one church year finishes up, the other one starts, um, uh, which, is, which is fitting. And, and so then this as a chosen epistle reading for uh, one of the Sundays of Advent uh, stands out to us, especially in the final verse of our of our short reading here um, in verse 13, uh, where it mentions the coming of our Lord Jesus. And we can talk a little bit more about um, uh, that that verse in particular. Uh, but this, um, as, as I was perusing First Thessalonians, you know, is mentioned more than just here this one time and, and seems to be um, a broader emphasis for uh, for Paul in First in Thessalonians to, to have uh, for, for the Christians in Thessalonica to have on their mind and on their radar um, as he's speaking to them about about various things throughout the letter. Yeah, I think that that you're that's a good point when it comes to this particular reading with with First Thessalonians that the coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus is an emphasis of this letter. We, we mentioned in a previous study in this series that you know, sometimes these epistle readings, when you first read them, you're, you're kind of scratching your head. Well, I'm not sure how that's an Advent theme, except for maybe like one verse, you know. And and it's it's nice to be able to read it with those glasses on, you know, looking at this in light of Advent, that Christ has come and that he will come again. But I, I think you're right that when it comes to 1 Thessalonians, the letter as a whole is a very 
Advent-themed letter. It, it really does deal with the, the coming of Christ. So with that in mind, you know, one of the challenges of a series like this, and this is true of, you know, the readings that you hear in, on Sunday morning sometime, particularly the epistles, is that you often will jump into a book, a letter, without a whole lot of context. And, and we're not doing a full study on First Thessalonians here, but it is helpful to, to know a few things. So what's important for us to know about this letter, its themes, as we prepare to look at these few verses from chapter three? Uh, I think what's helpful first, uh, as it was helpful to me in, in preparing for our time together, is uh, even the first opening verses that, that Paul um, speaks to them in this letter. Uh, uh, you know, he has this typical opening as, as far as who is writing, um, and it's not just him in this case. Sometimes we think the epistles uh, of Paul is, is just Paul, but um, explicitly Paul, uh, Silvanus, or, or Silas, and Timothy, um, writing to the, the, the church, uh, the Christians in Thessalonica. But then as he, as he gets into the rest of chapter one, which is relatively short, I'm tempted to read verses two through 10 out loud for us, but I'll highlight um, because uh, I think he touches on a few things here that provide the context, especially for our conversation, focusing on on our portion of chapter three. Uh, so first, as we noted, again, the, the coming of Christ um, at the very last verse of chapter one, um, where he mentions again, uh, uh, waiting or to wait for his son uh, from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So again, even at the at the uh, sort of the end of his opening section, you know, Paul is again putting this on their mind uh, as a as a backdrop for uh, for all of the things that he has to say, and for us today, uh, for our um, hearing of God's word, for our Christian living, um, how is uh, the the return of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, a, a backdrop uh, for uh, for our life as well. Um, but leading up to verse 10 to highlight a few other verses, again, that will are, are themes that come up in, in our text today in chapter three, uh, we have verses two and three. Um, we give thanks to God for this Thanksgiving idea, um, always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, uh, prayer uh, coming up in our text again, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. Uh, and I especially want to highlight that, this this faith word, um, which, again, for us as Christians, maybe uh, we already have as as a, a crucial and important uh, word and idea, um, but, but is especially crucial and important for our, our conversation today. Um, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, again, this faith idea mentioned a few verses later in verses 7 and 8. Um, uh, as really an example to others, uh, and so some words of praise, not in a uh, in a um, prideful sense, but words of, of praise and um, uh, rejoicing, maybe uh, for the work that God has done in the in the Thessalonians, verses seven and eight, uh, that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, uh, so that uh, so that we need not say anything. So that's another big idea here. I believe is um, in Paul's opening words, um, these words of thanksgiving and prayer, um, and in particular about the faith that God has worked in them, and then it goes forth beyond just just them. 
So I appreciate you bringing out chapter one, because that this, that is a really key chapter here in this letter as a whole. And just, you know, I mean, I'm following along there as you're, you're pointing things out, you know, maybe an encouragement. Obviously, we're studying chapter three today, but take a look at the whole letter as, as you listen to this study. Look through mm-hmm. it, you know, maybe pause the study if you're listening to us on podcast and, and read the whole letter to get that full picture, because I do think that it is helpful. One of the things that, you know, you, you mentioned the faith there that's brought up in chapter one, that just as if you if you do read all of chapter one, it you know, you get that trio that Paul uses elsewhere, the work of faith, the labor of love, the steadfastness of hope, faith, love, hope. That that same trio made famous in First Corinthians shows up in First Thessalonians too. So I mean that yeah. that's a that's a really thing. And and again, to see how the coming of Christ forms that foundation in chapter one, and is going to carry through here in in First Thessalonians. Another you know, famous passage from First Thessalonians comes up in chapter four. It's often read at funerals or graveside where Paul speaks about that second coming of Christ and the, the resurrection of all flesh on that day. You know, this this theme of Christ's second coming really is is important in this letter. It's important in the second letter to the Thessalonians as well. If if my memory is is correct, First Thessalonians is is often considered one of Paul's earliest letters if not the earliest of, of the epistles that he writes. I, I don't have the full timeline in front of me. I, I see the Lutheran Study Bible suggests the year 51 for the, the writing, which would be pretty early in Paul's ministry of writing epistles, which I, you know, stands out that, that early in his career, Paul's talking about the second coming of Christ. You know, it, it's something that's always been a part of the church's proclamation, and is a part of Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians here at the get-go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I believe you're right as far as the, the consensus on, on the timing of, of the writing of 1 Thessalonians. Um, I've heard different debates on which letter actually came first, uh, 1 Thessalonians or 2 Thessalonians, but uh, that's beside our points and I think purposes today. Um, uh, but regardless, as, as you emphasized, uh, the... Uh, and I had I had almost forgotten about you know the the text that you mentioned later on in First Thessalonians four, um, and really seems to be almost an issue actually this topic of the day of the Lord or the coming of the Lord seems to be more of an issue in Second Thessalonians, whereas here it's um, not an issue for them but a. Uh, um, uh, again, sort of a, a just a periodic mention of it for it to be on their mind um, uh, in the context of of his writing to them. Uh, and you know it's easy then for us to remember that, okay, these are stemming from Jesus' own words about his own return. You know, it's not that Paul is, you know, inserting some theology or, or you know, trying to come up with some uh, additional doctrine, obviously, but Jesus himself spoke repeatedly. Um, uh, that he would come again uh, and so paul is uh highlighting that for uh for the Thessalonians thessalonians as um as they consider um the uh, the challenges that they deal with especially um leading up to uh, uh chapter three uh verses nine and following that seems part of the, the backdrop here too one more thing that I, I think is helpful when i think about thessalonians is that if if you go back to the book of acts in Acts chapter 17, you you get the account of Paul's visit to Thessalonica, and his mm-hmm. visit there started with a lot of I mean, a lot of positive things that happened at the get go. But it's pretty quick that persecution arises, 
and he basically gets chased out of town there. And so he he helps this church get started, but then he's forced to leave pretty quickly. And and you see the spirit of love and concern that he's got for the Thessalonians come through in this letter particularly that you know he knew he had left them under duress and he's he's been concerned how's it been going and i think that that helps set the stage here you know if you're looking in the ESV there's a title above verse 6 that suggests we think about this as Timothy's encouraging report paul's been worried about this church and he's heard good news from Timothy that kind of again sets the backdrop in in a fuller historical picture of of the words that that paul's going to give us today any any further context background information that we, we want to know before we dig into the text. Well, and I think what you mentioned there in Acts is important uh, that, yeah, it, I don't know if we're given an exact time frame on how long he was in Thessalonica, but it very clearly is a, a shorter time frame and not, it wasn't a, okay, you know, I feel like my work's complete. Now I can move on. Yeah. But very much this uh, halted uh, missionary work by Paul in, in Thessalonica uh, and even to the extent that the Jews don't just drive him out of Thessalonica, they then, I was just reading this earlier, they follow him to the next city, Berea, and, and continue to to kind of push him away. Um, and so, yes, as a, you know, we often, I think, or, or we can fall into this trap of thinking of Paul as purely a, a missionary or evangelist where, okay, I, I went and I, I proclaimed the gospel and, and now I'm headed on to the next city. But Paul very much is also a pastor in that sort of caring and concern sense that you're expressing. And so uh, we see uh, in the verses uh, at the beginning of chapter three um, uh, and even the verses immediately prior to nine. So verses six and seven, this this longing, um, he actually is writing to them uh, in, in with two purposes. One is because he has finally heard about how they're doing, um, but also as a still expressing the longing, longing to return to them because he felt like the work was cut short. Um, and so he desires to go back and uh, continue that work, um, continue that teaching and, and instruction. Yeah, I mean, Paul's pastoral heart comes through in a lot of places in the epistles, but I think the text we've got today is is one of those very clear places where he he wants to be a pastor to these people. He wants to to share Jesus' love, to help them grow in Jesus' love, and, and we're going to see that very pastoral spirit come out in today's text. So, again, we are in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 9 to 13 this morning. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. That is our text for today. That's 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 9 to 13. And again, that is the epistle reading for the first Sunday in Advent in series C of the three-year lectionary. So just give us an overall impression of this, this text, Pastor Eden, before we dig into specifics. What, what's the overall feel, what's Paul's overall goal in this text? I, I sort of split it in my mind, even though it's a relatively short text as far as number of verses, I sort of split it into two parts. 
um, uh, where in the ESV there's that paragraph break. So verses 9 and 10 um, and, and then verses 11 through 13. Um, 9 and 10 uh, seem to be paired with uh, verses 6 and following um, uh, because of, again, this concern of how they're doing. Um, Paul had come and, and had the opportunity with Silas and Timothy to, to preach the gospel to the Jews and the Greeks uh, or the Jews and the Gentiles um, and uh, knew that uh, for many of them, or at least some of them, uh, the gospel had, had worked faith in them and had taken root. Um, but again, with the quick departure, um, how were they doing? Um, in our text specifically, we're, we're not given that report. And that's why I think verses six and following are helpful because you know, Timothy comes back, comes to, to Paul and, and, and gives the, uh, uh, the good news of their faith, verse six, um, and their love. Uh, so this good report, and that leads to the, the first half of our reading, I would call it, and that is this, uh, this sort of rhetorical question in, in 9 and 10, um, uh, which is really expressing a, a thanksgiving and, and a joy over this good report that, that he had to leave quickly. Um, uh, and however long it has been uh, since this letter is written, um, he's he's finding that, OK, it didn't all fall apart after after he was forced to leave. Um, and then and then sort of to try to summarize the second part of it um, is after this this prayer of thanksgiving or, or sort of this question expression of thanksgiving and joy to God um, is then a reminder, uh, maybe just an, an a, a verbal thought from Paul himself is is what comes to my mind right now. Sort of, a, I don't know if it's necessary a reminder to himself, but especially to the the Thessalonians that um, you know God is the one who has been leading and, and directing this, um, and He continues to do the work um, in them um, all the way up to the coming of our Lord Jesus. And a, a lot of details to fill in with with the meaning but behind that, but that, that's sort of the two parts that that I see. Yeah, I, I think you're right on. And it, that's a good, you know, just hearing you talk about it is a good reminder that sometimes the texts that are selected for the lectionary maybe pick up and start in a place that isn't the most natural. It's not the full starting place. And sometimes they end when there's more information afterwards that you really should know. And so, it, you know, when you when you read something in church, you hear it in church, and your pastor preaches on it, that's wonderful, but don't be afraid to take that home with you and and read the fuller context and get that, that fuller picture that's there for you in the scriptures. And so, you know, taking us back to verse 6, I think is is very helpful so that you, you get a feel for, well, why is Paul, you know, expressing this thanksgiving? So, you know, I mean, and, and it is in terms of a, a rhetorical question, but you you get the sense that, you know, he's he's just overflowing with thanksgiving, that he's almost at a loss for words. And and then I, I do think you're right. There, it, it almost is two sections. Maybe the, the thing that, that we could say unites them is that both of them are, are a prayer of sorts. You, you've got a prayer of thanksgiving, and then a prayer for God to continue to be at work, and and both for for Paul in his ministry, and also then for the the Thessalonians. So again, it, it, this is the the context. This is the the main point of, of what's going on here in First Thessalonians three. So focusing in now a little bit more on on verse nine, you know, just this matter of thanksgiving. It, it strikes me, and, and perhaps it's because the the previous text we studied here on Sharper Iron was from First Corinthians one which is Paul's thanksgiving for the Corinthians. 
and that of course is in chapter one and that's where i expect to see him you know giving thanks that's that's where it usually lies and and you already pointed out you know he he does this in chapter one of first thessalonians it strikes me to see him doing it again you know i mean here's here's thanksgiving popping up again in the middle of the letter help help us into what what paul is saying here about the thanksgiving he's giving in verse nine so uh it really stems from uh, I believe this this good report, this this good news of your faith and and, and love in verse six. Um, again, he saw in in his brief missionary work there uh, a, a distress and persecution and rejection of the gospel, uh, not by all, certainly, but but by a um, a, a significant enough or a a um, uh, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a verbal enough, you know, sort of a, a an adamant enough group of people um, that they that they drove him out, and um, and so then to hear, even as he goes on in verse seven, um, in all our distress and affliction, um, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Uh, this faith that um, was started with the gospel being proclaimed to them, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, um, that he is the uh, the Christ as as the one proclaimed from the Old Testament, uh, that, that that faith has stuck and it didn't fizzle out right away because of persecution. Because certainly you would, you would expect, as we see recorded in Acts 17, like you said, um, uh, the man named Jason, uh, what exactly his role was, I don't think we know um, in the life of Paul but some significant role and so how you know after they they drove paul out then they came to look for for jason and um uh and i forget exactly the the sort of the persecution but he has to pay some sort of financial uh uh, uh agreement to, to kind of calm things down is, is my understanding of, of acts there but you know they not to take us too far away from thessalonians but again with this is what's going on it's understandable for Paul as 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 their concerned pastor to wonder, okay, has the same thing happened to uh, these these new converts to Christianity, these new believers, and are they going to give up the faith quickly too? Uh, but he finds out that they haven't. Uh, and so you know this, as you said, this Thanksgiving just overflows. It's he kind of runs out of words. Um, and I think that's why it's in the form of a question as I as I uh, read, um, I was able to dabble in, in uh, Lenski's commentary a little bit for some help on, on, these, on these passages. You know, it, it's sort of this, what more thanks can I give? You know, is there, is there enough words of thanks to express to God, not to the Thessalonians, to be clear, um, thanks to God that he has preserved them and preserved their faith um, and preserved the work that he has already done in them in the midst of distress, afflictions, um, or even when you look at uh, the end of verse five, somehow the tempter had tempted you and and our labor would be in vain. You know, these are some of the concerns that Paul has, but he finds out this this wonderful news. So he gives thanks um, and, and to note also then this thanks that uh, leads into joy um, or sort of flowing from joy, maybe uh, uh, for all the joy ESV says that we feel, um, I, I've heard another way to translate that would actually be for all the joy that we rejoice with. You know, it's sort of this double use of that of that term uh, of joy. And so again, it, it adds to this idea that you expressed already of overflowing with thanks, overflowing with joy, um, and, and sort of this 
hands up in a good sense, uh, throwing your hands up in a good sense of what, what else is there to say or how, how, what, how can words express it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I think of joy in Paul, I often think of the epistle to the Philippians, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Yeah, and, definitely. And, and what, you know, what's striking about the joy there in Philippians is he's, he's rejoicing even though he's in prison. And here he's, I mean, he's full of joy because he's got really good news. And that joy does lead him to thanksgiving. You know, elsewhere, we know that, that Christians can be joyful can be thankful in all circumstances, even even when those circumstances to the world may not look for cause for joy or thanksgiving. But it it's I guess it's just nice and refreshing to see here Paul giving thanks at a situation that just about anybody's going to agree. This is this is cause for joy. This is cause for thanksgiving. How the Lord, you know, I answered Paul's prayers for these Thessalonians. He had been forced to leave with without much time there. He's been praying for them. He's been concerned about what report he, he's going to get, and he's gotten good news that they've been established for faith. And so his thanksgiving, his joy overflows. I mean, again, you just you see the pastoral heart here. And I, I think, I mean, I think pastors certainly can relate to this, but I many Christians can can relate to this. You know, I mean, think about you haven't seen someone in church for a while, and, and you're worried where where have they been? What's going on? And and then you hear the reason for it, and you you realize it's not because something's gone wrong with their faith, but it's it's another reason. You see them again, and there's that overflowing joy to to know that that a person's faith has been strong, or maybe you know you grew up in a in a church, haven't been there in a while, and and you go there to visit again because you're back in town, and and you see those friends that you grew up with in the church what joy there is to see that they're still connected to Christ. That's the same joy that Paul's experiencing here. Yeah. Yeah. That's an excellent uh, parallel uh, in my opinion, uh, a great example. Um, and this, and so then as Paul rejoices in, in three, um, I, I finally found the verse that was coming to my mind. Another one that I think we quote regularly uh, at the very end of First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 16, 17, 18. Rejoice always, similar to, to Philippians. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Again, this rejoicing and giving thanks uh, and, and prayer in, in general as well. Um, uh, it's an it's an encouragement and admonition for the Thessalonians and for us uh, to do the same um, as we see really, in my opinion, and this broadens to to so many things um, as we see God working and, and his continued faithfulness in our lives and the lives of people around us. Um, and that can that can take so many different forms. Um, but uh, uh, does that then fill us with joy and, and overflow into, into thanksgiving and prayer? I, I hope so, uh, and I expect so uh, for many of us uh, as uh, as we see and witness those things. Right, yeah, and it's always always good for us to, to keep in mind when we pray, this is the way I like to say it, when we pray, Lord, have mercy, and the Lord gives his mercy, then let's make sure that we then give the next prayer, which is God be praised, or thanks be to God. You know, And I, I think you, you see Paul— Having both of those here, he's prayed, Lord, have mercy for these Thessalonian Christians. The prayer has been answered, and so now he's he's saying, thanks be to God. God be praised for that answered prayer. We're going to pick up more of this text on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking First Thessalonians chapter 3 with Pastor Tim Eden. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, December 3rd. We're studying 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 9 to 13 with Pastor Tim Eden. He serves at Bethel Lutheran Church in Bryan, Texas. Pastor Eden, prior to the break, we're looking at verse 9. as Paul's great thanksgiving, his overflowing joy for this good news that he's received about the Thessalonians, that their faith has been established, made firm by the Lord. And he he continues, and we get this theme of praying again. Paul, Paul says, you know, we pray most earnestly night and day. For two things, that we would see you face to face and then supply what is lacking in your faith. Take us into to that verse and what Paul's praying for there. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, first of all, I, I, you know, the night and day idea, um, uh, it's a little daunting to me uh, as, a, as a Christian. Uh, you know, what, what is Paul? Is Paul literally play, praying night and day? Um, uh, most likely there's a, a bit of a, a, an idiom or hyperbole here um, because obviously Paul has lots of things that he's doing. Um, uh, but what he seems to be implying uh, or, or saying here is that he's pl- praying regularly at times at night, at times during the day, um, sort of this this constant or regular idea. Um uh, part of then what he's praying for, uh, as it continues from the joy and thanksgiving we talked about, it, it again, he reiterates the the desire to see the Thessalonians again. He's heard this good report, uh, but he feels there's more work to do. And so he desires to, um, to see them again, to be able to continue instruction in the faith. Uh, uh, and, and really, I think that idea is what helps us understand uh, the lacking in your faith, because that's that's something that you know catches me and says, "Wait, wait, wait!" Is you know what what might be lacking, um, uh, and and I think the best understanding that that I've found of this of that phrase is not a lack in the sense of trust, um, uh, sort of the subjective faith idea, uh, but rather um, probably lacking in sort of the content of the faith, the, the doctrine of the faith, so to speak. Because again, as we consider the short time that Paul had in Thessalonica, he didn't have enough time to to fully uh, expound upon the scriptures and teach, you know, with with a thoroughness, if I'm making up a word there, I don't know, you know, the, the content of all of these things about Jesus' death and re- resurrection and all the implications and the connections of that. And so he desires and is praying to God because he knows that God is the one who makes this happen or not happen. He's praying that God would provide that opportunity again for him to go and, and see them again face to face to face. To, to continue that instruction in the Christian faith. Yeah, I, I think you're right on when it comes to the matter of you know this lacking in your faith has to do with Paul just hasn't had a chance to to teach them all that much. He's certainly given them what they need. You know, I mean, he's he's given them the the very foundation of the Christian faith, the good mm-hmm. news of Jesus, and I mean, he's his thanksgivings for this faith. That's it's a 
it's a complete faith in that sense. But there's more content that he wants to teach them. And, you know, I imagine if you ask just about any pastor, uh, what do you what do you want to still teach your congregation? He's going to be able to to name a few things. You know, and and <laughs> Paul here, I think similarly, he knows that he's got more to teach them, and he wants to teach them that, and so he he prays for that opportunity. And it does, and, and maybe this is just because of the the phenomenon of COVID and everything that we've come through, but but the way Paul puts it here about wanting to see them face to face in order mm. to do that really strikes me. Because on the one hand, you know, in order to supply what's lacking to their faith, well, he's he's writing them this letter. And, and as we said, you know, there's going to be this pretty key doctrinal section coming up at the end of chapter four where he's going to tell them about the resurrection from the dead. That's probably part of what he wanted to teach them. And he writes them a letter to that effect. So why do you need to go see him face to face, Paul? And and yet, I mean, that's a huge part of his longing. And it does seem that it's mutual on their part. They want to see him face to face as well. It just, and again, maybe it's it's just the, the whole pandemic that has brought this to the fore in my mind. Because this isn't the only place that Paul talks this way about wanting to come and visit these congregations. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, yeah. that there's something to that. He wants to do this face to face. Yeah, uh, I think you're uh, even if it is prompted by, you know, COVID pandemic, um, I think that is an excellent insight and, and point for us to make um, uh, uh, briefly on the, you know, the other times that Paul expresses this longing. Right now, I'm studying more in Romans right now for a Bible study here. And so he, he has that same expression um, in Romans 1 and, and toward the end of it and Romans 15, how he has longed for many years to come in and see them. Uh, uh, the Romans. The context there is a little bit different because it's actually a place he hasn't visited yet. Right. Um, uh, but there's still this this similar longing. <clears throat> but I think what you're saying here in in the the face to face idea is uh, an excellent point because sometimes uh, whether it's pandemic or or even just how we may look at the Christian faith, you know, sometimes we may think of it just as this, you know checklist of beliefs you know and just well well as long as i've communicated all of the content uh and, and i've and or as a hearer or a reader as long as i've read it all now now i'm good i've got it right but but i think that and maybe i'm reading into this too much but um or, or pushing it a little too far but again this the sort of give and take the in-person um uh, I, I know that even for me as a as a pastor, but also as a learner, um, and this is something for us also that it's not just pastors teaching people, but as pastors also an ongoing learning idea, you know, from Paul, from God, from the scriptures, uh, from other uh, pastors and theologians and, and, and lay people for that matter. So this give and take that really is, I think, crucial for our ongoing building of our faith, both the content and and sort of the the growth um, of our of our personal subjective faith, the the upbuilding of that. Uh, I think that's that's part of what's at play here, for for Paul. And again, as we've talked about the the context of of his time there, it's certainly going to be a little bit more heavily leaning on him instructing and, and conveying but to do that face to face is is important to him be, instead of like you said just just writing stuff down and saying here you go now now you're good to go i can go somewhere else that 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 wouldn't be sufficient to paul 
Yeah, that's right. And like you said, it shows up in Romans, which again, different context slightly because he's never been there before, but he wants to see them. The the letters to the Corinthians, Paul Paul will talk about having, you know, having to write these harsh words so that when he comes in person, he can comfort them. You know, I mean, those there's always that yeah. that give and take when it comes to Paul in in the letters and he he writes them and and thanks be to God that he did for the congregations and their instruction at the time and for our continuing instruction through the Holy Scripture. But but also, I mean, there's just that that's constant longing that even as he writes these letters, he wants to be with them. And and he knows, you know, I mean, he, he'll talk about how he's not separated from them in spirit, but he, he always wants to be with them in person. And I, I, I've, I've appreciated seeing those places in Paul over these months of the pandemic, just as a reminder not to not to settle for anything less finally than that full fellowship of the christian church and that will always i mean you know that's going to be fully realized on the last day when we are together with all the saints body and soul but boy what joy it is when we have the opportunity to be together face to face right now as well yeah absolutely and and i think you know maybe we have uh slowly been taking that for granted over time and and the pandemic has has brought that more clearly to our realization, or at least I hope it has, um, that, that there's something more to the being in person with, with one another. Um, yes, hearing a, a report, you know, as Paul does here, um, about Christians um, around the world or, or even, you know, closer proximity to our, ourselves, how that can be upbuilding. But um, but there's something more uh, to the actual in-person, face-to-face conversation. How are you doing? Um, what has been challenging? What are your, you know, to use the words here earlier in our verses, you know, distress and afflictions that you're dealing with? How have you um, uh, 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 stayed stayed strong through those? How, how has the Lord comforted you in the midst of those? Um, and how then sharing those stories and, and, and that mutual upbuilding idea, how it can strengthen us and, and how I think it's important for us then to consider um, as we think about how others and, and their faith in the midst of their challenges builds us up. Um, uh, are we recognizing, are we seeing and recognizing how God uses our faith to build up others? Um you know, and, and so I, I remember uh, Hebrews, you know, do not neglect uh, 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 gathering together. I'm, I'm butchering the, the, the words there. Um, but don't give up that, that gathering together for the sake of one another. Even if you don't feel like you need it, uh, uh, maybe it's because other people need to hear and see from, from you and your faith where you're at at that time uh, so that so that you can actually be the one building them up in, in that moment. Yeah, and, and just, I mean, just to piggyback on that briefly, that, I mean, that's what's happening for Paul. The, the faith of the Thessalonians and the report that he's received has encouraged Paul as the missionary, as the pastor, and, and how much more encouragement does he desire and, and will he receive should he be able to see them face to face? You know, I mean, yeah, the yeah. and I, I'm, I'm sure you, you can say the same as, as a pastor, how encouraging it is to see your people on Sunday morning. You know, not not so that you can put a higher attendance number in the bulletin the next week, but because, you know, you know, they're there hearing the word of God being built up and and what a what a great joy that is for a pastor and and certainly then for the whole church again to to be together face to face 
to see the ways that God is is at work through his word. He's answering those prayers that we're praying for each other is is just such encouragement, such joy, such thanksgiving. And and so yeah, pandemic or not, I mean the importance of of being together face to face, we shouldn't take it for granted. And and I I certainly hope and pray that that what you said is is true that if we had been taking it for granted that the Lord has has woken us up uh, so that we would rejoice anew in this this fellowship of the church to actually be together as the body of Christ. Uh, what I mean, we could probably spend the rest of the time talking about that, Pastor Eden. Uh, let's 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 try to move on a little bit. Paul Paul doesn't quite leave it behind because he does as in as we get into verse eleven, he he offers this prayer again and does speak about God directing our way to the Thessalonians and then speaking mm-hmm. on the other. So take us into now this as as you pointed out, this is kind of a, a new section or we got a. a a slightly different emphasis here. Take us into to verse 11 and following. Yeah, yeah. There seems to be sort of a new section here, but it's not disconnected from the previous verses that we were studying by any means, because, you know, this longing to see them face to face, how is this going to happen? Um, only by God's direction. Uh, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Uh, this is this is how all of Paul's missionary work has happened in the first place. You know, we could go all the way back to to Paul's own calling on on the road to Damascus, um, and and all of his uh, missionary work uh, since then. It has all been directed by uh, God the Father and His and our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so, for that to happen again to the the Thessalonians, um, it will only be. Uh, by by his grace, by his will, by by God's uh, leading and and directing. Look, looking at verse eleven, and you you pointed this out into in some notes that you you sent me. There's perhaps an interesting way that Paul names God here. So it and it it I don't know that I would have noticed it if you hadn't pointed it out. So in verse eleven, you've got now may God our Father Himself. And then, and our Lord Jesus Christ, direct our way to you. And then in verse 12, you just have, may the Lord, without Jesus or, or anything else. Mm-hmm. Could this be a Trinitarian blessing of sorts? I, I wonder that, and not by my own thoughts, but by the watch <laughs> the saints who have gone before us. Um, uh, as I was perusing, you know, this and that a little bit, um, uh, the the one note that that I learned from from Lenski um, mentions the the unity of of God the Father and Jesus in in verse eleven, um, how there is a singular verb for uh, the the two of them, <clears throat> uh, and and so the the oneness there in verse eleven. Um, uh, and then, and then he sort of then takes the Lord uh, uh, in verse twelve to simply be a reference to that again, the oneness of God the Father and God the Son. Um, however, there's a, a note uh, in the Lutheran Study Bible that brought this idea, this Trinitarian idea, to mind. Um, let me just read it. It's very brief from from Ambrose, and I don't know a whole lot about Ambrose or exactly his timing, but an earlier church father. Um, who then is the Lord? He has named the Father and has named the Son. Whom then has he joined with the Father and the Son except the Spirit? Who is the Lord who establishes our hearts in holiness? And so Ambrose reads this as, yes, very Trinitarian. Uh, God the Father, our Lord Jesus, and the Lord, um, he sees that as the third person of the Trinity, then working the, the things that Paul says in verse 12, increase 
abounding in love, and in verse 13, um, holiness. Uh, and 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 so that was a really, yeah, it was a really cool idea. Um, I don't know if we can say that with certainty that that's exactly you know who Paul is speaking of, um, but I think it would it would be appropriate to conclude either of those directions. Either it's just God the Father and Jesus again in a reference to their unity or um, a fuller reference to the Trinity. Um, uh, and, and with that thought of the Trinity, then, if that is what Paul is referring to, it makes me think of passages like Galatians 5, you know, and the, the fruit of the Spirit is what first? Love. Um, and, and with that being one of the key things that Paul mentions here in verse 12, um, leading into 13, uh, it fits with, with that, uh, that idea of, of the Trinity uh, being mentioned. Yeah, I, I find that an intriguing thought. And and there's a couple and this is just kind of the way that, that I've looking at this text, on the on the one hand, I, I, I think it would make a lot of sense because in verse eleven you do have our God and Father and then the Lord Jesus, and then in verse twelve, the Lord, referring to the Holy Spirit. And if you follow through all the way to the end, he's the one that would establish your heart's blameless and holiness before God our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so then you, you would have almost a, you know, the Holy Spirit there standing in the middle and, and two Trinitarian references where the Holy Spirit ends the first and then begins the second. So uh, on, the, on the one hand, you know, like, oh, that, that that's pretty cool. On on the other hand, I, I kind of wonder, and, and this is just something that I just don't know, if anywhere else in Scripture we see the Holy Spirit very clearly being the one referred to by the word Lord. Certainly he could be. I don't mean to say that. The Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. you can mm -hmm. refer to him as Lord quite legitimately because he is the true God. But I, I wonder if that's, I, I'm, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head where that would be the, the typical way that I would understand it. And the other, the other thing that I do wonder is in verse 11, you have a prayer where Paul is is asking God to do something for for him and for his his companions. And then in verse 12 you have Paul having a prayer for the Thessalonians. And so if there's maybe a I don't know a restart there, I could see there being a, a restart where the Lord could be referring to the Lord Jesus again. Again, I I'm not saying that yep. one way or another. That's just kind of the way that that my mind tries to go through exegetically and, and think about that question, I, I find it an intriguing proposal, and I like it a lot. I, I'm not sure that, and I, I don't think, I don't know, you're not saying it either. I'm not sure that we can say for sure one way or another. I mm -hmm. And I, I do, you know, I mean, boy, the way you talk about the connection to Galatians 5, what is prayed for there in verse 12 fits a lot with the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, this idea of increasing and abounding in love. That's that's the first gift of the Spirit mentioned. And so, I, yeah, I, I like it a lot. And I just I appreciate having that uh, the opportunity to have that kind of exegetical conversation with you. Yeah, and you make some excellent points uh, um, in reverse or, or in consideration of, of both points and, and possibilities. Um, uh, so, you know, as far as the Lord as or the Holy Spirit referred to as Lord, I, I'd have to do some some further study to, to see um, if or where that happens in other places. Um, and your description also of uh, sort of the restart idea, you know, may our God and Father and Jesus do this for us and may he do this for you um, uh, would absolutely be, you know, an appropriate and, and sensible understanding of that um, uh, that wouldn't necessarily include explicitly the Holy Spirit uh, there. So I think, again, both for consideration for, for whoever may be reading this, 
Um, regardless, I think uh, as I even process this out loud with you, you know, it reminds me of um, the doctrine that we see so clearly, and that is the unity of the Trinity right. uh, uh, and the work of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit um, in tandem with one another um, uh, in the lives of, of his people. Uh, that That is, you know, something that could be a, a you know, a, a common point uh, regardless of of our exegetical takeaways from from these verses. That's that's for sure. And I appreciate you bringing us back to that main point. As the as the text concludes, this is especially in verse 13, that's where we get to the the very obvious connection to the season of advent, to the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Help us into that that last verse and how this really starts to wrap things up and and I don't know, put the the rubber stamp on everything Paul's been saying. <laughs> Yeah, as we talked near the beginning, you know, I, I talked about it in, in terms of, of a backdrop, um, the, the coming of our Lord Jesus for the broader First Thessalonians. I think here specifically in this verse, um, I, I see it as a, as a bookend, um, in a sense, even for sort of the middle of First Thessalonians. Uh, what I'm referring to here is that very end of, of chapter 2, um, there's another explicit mention of this, uh, verse 19. Uh, chapter 2, verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And that seems to begin this sort of longing to see Paul section, or sorry, longing to see the Thessalonians section. And, and the end of chapter 3 seems to be sort of the end of this section as, as my glancing at chapter 4 seems to move in a, a different direction. And so it, there's this sort of bookend um, of, of the coming of our Lord Jesus. An interesting thing with that then is, um, and I, this is, the extent of my Greek is not uh, excellent in this regard, uh, but the word there is, is a word that sometimes gets used in English, or at least theological uh, language for English, and that is uh, parousia, if I'm saying it correctly. Um, and uh, what I learned before, just before our time here is that it has, it can have this meaning of coming, but it also can have a meaning of of presence. And so rather this sort of um, idea of Jesus as distant and then coming close, uh, just simply the idea of the presence of our Lord Jesus, um, that, that shifts us maybe uh, potentially, not necessarily, away from the Advent typical thinking, um, but can be helpful, I think, in not only our looking at First Thessalonians here, and sort of this reminder of the presence of, of Jesus, the presence of God with us, with the Thessalonians um, at all times. Um, but also, it, I think it still can help us in that Advent idea that why is, is Jesus coming? To be present. Um, uh, and that really his presence, uh, his coming, uh, his final return on the last day, uh, in my opinion, needs to constantly be on our minds um, when we think about all of these things that we've talked about today, prayer, thanksgiving, um, uh, doubts or wonderings how someone else is doing, um, our faith, uh, and, and then the, the love uh, that flows from that, uh, that all of these things uh, are sort of culminating in a sense, I don't know if that's the best word for it, in or, or toward his his return, um, uh, where finally all things will be made right, and that I, I believe that's important because it shapes all of those little things in, in a in a 
well, a different way if we're not thinking rightly about it, um, but in a significant way. Well, I mean, anytime you have the goal in mind, that's going to shape what you do right now. When you know where you're headed, that's going to influence how you act right now. If I know I'm trying to get over there, I'm going to take the route that leads over there. And mm-hmm. and similarly for Christians, that if I know that that's the goal is to be there with Christ at the coming that at his coming with all of his saints, then that does shape what I do right now. And and not in such a way that the, I suppose the analogy breaks down because it's not in such a way that I somehow get myself there. The Lord is the one who brings me there, who who answers this prayer, who causes me to increase and abound in these things. But but knowing that that's where I'm going influences me right now. And I do think that that's a very, you know, advent type thing to talk about. Sometimes, you know, we you, you mentioned at the very beginning that you've got the two comings of Christ. We think about his first coming in the flesh, his second coming at glory. And sometimes I find it helpful to talk about his coming right now, the one in between, that he is, in fact, present with us in his word, in his sacrament. And, and you know, having him present here now is what strengthens us to meet him when he comes in glory on the last day. And, and that, you know, I mean, that that influences us even now. And w- when you do start to see this in the epistles, you, you start to see it all over the place, how, how this really does influence Paul's thinking and writing, that he's, he's constantly urging these Christians in various places to live in a certain way because Christ has come, Christ is here, and Christ will come again. And it's just in Advent that theme gets brought to the fore so that we get to reflect upon it all the more and, and really think about it through these texts like this. We've got about two minutes here on the morning, Pastor Eden, for final thoughts. And again, to help us see how in this text from First Thessalonians 3, Paul points us toward our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I think what comes to my mind uh, hearing you talk about the, the coming and Advent of Christ is pairing Paul's language that he uses here in our reading and throughout his epistles, um, also with um, Jesus' own words on this topic. And and um, Jesus is very uh, direct in a lot of ways, but also what comes to my mind is some of his parables or parabolic language, you know, about while the master is gone, how do we act? How do we think? Um, it, it's very much in trust and relationship to him. Um, and that that then flowing from that trust and relationship or or Paul's you know explicit language of faith, uh, then outflowing from that is um, the hope, uh, the love, the prayer and thanksgiving. Um, but it's not in a in a uncertain sense in a you know, well, maybe he'll come again or or when, but it's a certain sense. It's a he will, he has promised and God is faithful. Uh, Christ is faithful. Um, and and that is where our true salvation is. Um, and that also, I think, influences us in what we do and say with other people as we find ourselves in difficult situations. How do we respond to those? Um, do we speak to people about the confidence that we have um, in what Christ has already done in his death and resurrection for us? Um, and also in confidence and peace about his his second coming. Um, and so sort of the uh, again, bookends of Christ's first coming and second coming, uh, the confidence and peace that we have in those, that is the the foundation for our faith. Um, and, and how does that then flow out into our, our daily lives, um, our conversations with people, our interactions with people, 
ultimately, just as Paul longs, uh, hopefully we would also long so that others may be part of this um, people of God and, and this, this uh, confidence and peace in our Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Tim Eden is pastor at Bethel Lutheran Church in Bryan, Texas, helping us today with 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 9 to 13. Pastor Eden, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about this text from 1 Thessalonians or other Advent epistle readings, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.